a truckload of clothing gets dumped into landfill every 10 seconds somewhere in the world. Welcome to Nature Magic. Today I'm talking to Elaine Butler, who runs the website Living Lightly in Ireland. It's a sustainable living guide with all the information needed to live a greener life, from where to shop, what to cook, what to do, etc. She's been featured in the Irish Times, the Irish Independent, Radio 1, RT, Virgin Media, and she recently published a blog titled Best Sustainable Ethical Outdoor Clothing and Gear for 2022, which popped up on my Instagram. As the podcast interview is mostly a discussion about reuse of clothing and why we shouldn't buy new clothes, I wanted to give the brand she listed a mention as a stepping stone to a more sustainable wardrobe. Personally, last year I ordered from Patagonia for the first time. I am wearing this fleece as I speak, and I guarantee I'll wear it until it's totally worn out as the design is so practical, light, warm, comfortable, along with being made from recycled plastic bottles. Of course, the carbon footprint of the delivery must be taken into account, but it is a great item. And I suppose the better the design of the clothes, the more likely people will wear them until they actually wear out. The sleeves slightly tighten in with just the correct amount of give when you're working on the farm to keep your wrists warm. The length covers your lower back even when you're bending over and has some sort of slight elastic in the hem to stay tight and comfortable. The neck zips up to exclude drafts and the hood is unnoticeable even under a coat, but it's there when you need it and tightly covers your ears. The pockets are brilliantly designed, large enough to fit a phone comfortably so it doesn't jam in your hip when you bend over. And all in all, it is a beautiful article. It's an ethical decision now to buy new clothes, but if you need something specific for the outdoors, these are some of the brands that Elaine has researched. Check out her blog for more brands and really interesting facts on how these companies are trying to become more and more sustainable. Um, I will put the link to the blog in the show notes. First one she mentions is Jack Wolfskin. It's a German company with Irish stockists making outdoor clothing from recycled materials with renewable energy, some of which they generate themselves. Patagonia that sells clothing and accessories made from recycled plastic bottles and organic cotton printed with PVC free inks. Mayhem is a Dutch company and makes rainwear from recycled materials and offsets their carbon footprint via a tree planting project. And they use recycled and biodegradable gradable materials for packaging and mailing. Icebreaker is a French company making outdoor wear mostly with natural fabrics. And Picture Clothing is another French brand offering organic, recycled and biosource products for snowboarding, skiing, surfing and the outdoors. Didriksons in Sweden offer timeless, long-lasting garments. Houdini make active and ski wear from natural and recycled fabric, which they cover with a lifelong guarantee and take back at the end of their life. Lundhags in Sweden make clothing and also offer a rental service and only produce one collection a year. They accept returns and resell secondhand items in store and online. They also offer a repair service on their boots and the company constantly monitors their carbon footprint and actively works to reduce it. So these are some of the companies that are addressing the fast fashion problem. Take a look at the blog, which is very educational and I hope you enjoy the episode. We can all learn how to take steps in the right direction. I certainly learned a lot from Elaine. 
Hi, Elaine. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's a windy day today. We've had sideways snow. I'm in Galway and you're in Dublin. So what's the weather like now at the moment? Well, it's been very cold, actually, uh, much colder than I expected. And we did have sideways snow here, but much to my son's excitement, but then it sort of stopped. So I don't think he's going to be making any snowmen or snow people tomorrow. But the wind hasn't been as bad as I expected. Yeah, so, so it's good. Storm storm Eunice and we had mm. Storm Dudley. So this will air in March sometime. We'll, we'll all have forgotten about Storm Eunice. And it's interesting. Passage. I heard there they're renaming the storm storm nora because some people can't pronounce eunice oh nora yeah they're going for, they're going for the old-fashioned names i like it yeah very retro <laughs> we've got a little uh, a new piggy at the moment a little piglet and everybody's oh. been suggesting names for her on instagram so there's oh, been quite lovely. a lot yeah there's been quite a lot of sort of traditional names like bridget <laughs> agnes oh yeah um, i can see although i was gonna say i can see a pig being named that but i'm sure if there's anyone listening who has those names they might not appreciate sharing their name with a piglet or maybe they would i don't know so i think the top one at the moment is flora which i think is very sweet oh that is lovely that, that is nice and that was suggested by a little girl so um but anyway we're here to talk about sustainable fashion because you have a website livinglightlyinireland.com and it's a great, it's a great treasure trove of everything, information, where to buy things, how to do things. And a blog that popped up on Instagram the other day that you had done was about sustainable and ethical clothing brands. And I think everybody, you know, we all want to, we know we have to reuse and secondhand clothes and we know all that now. Uh, some people obviously are just marching on and being unsustainable and not listening at all about it. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the problems, but also really a nice uh, sort of advice for the listeners is, you know, what can you suggest? What brands can you suggest that would be nice if they were actually purchasing clothing because you've done a bit of research into it? So we'll start with how your sustainable journey began. So I had always had an interest in avoiding waste. It's just part of my personality. And I got involved in politics when my kids were little and they're just back backroom stuff now. I wasn't going for election and I used to write the policy for the Green Party um, and I managed their policy development for five years. And when I was in there um, and after I was in there about four years, I discovered that single use coffee cups weren't recyclable or compostable. And I was sort of shocked that I didn't know that before then. Like, how did that escape me? So I think I started to look into this and other issues, you know, because regardless of what you work at, there's certain things that you do. Everyone does every every week. You buy food, you cook food. You generally have to buy some items. And so I started to look at, well, how do I make more sustainable choices? And like everything, you know, you, you start researching one topic and then it leads you on to another and another. And then you find conflicting information. And it's like, well, OK, who's you know, which one do I believe? And while I was doing that, it was easiest for me to record it in a blog, um, because then if I'm telling other people about it, I could just point them to the article rather than like trying to remember all these names in my head. So it was really my lack of knowledge around personal choice that got me interested in starting the website. I think I've always had an interest in sustainability. I just maybe didn't call it that. 
until you know the last five or six years so that's and then another thing that happened actually when I was starting on my journey which I think was quite pivotal for me one of my neighbors um his wife passed away and he was a very pragmatic man um and they were very frugal they didn't buy a lot of things so you know the things they had were like 30 40 years old and there was a skip outside his house and a lot of her belongings were in it and to be fair to him, these were not stuff you could donate to people. They just they were well worn out, you know, so there was nowhere else for them to go. And there isn't really a recycling scheme for clothes that really is worth its salt at the moment. Um, and it made me just realize that the stuff that I am so focused on accumulating, the stuff that's in my head at that time improved my life is really just going to end up in landfill when I'm gone. Wow. Um, yeah, that is that was really just illustrated it visually, didn't it? I mean, it, 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 it's so scary. I was watching a documentary about Chile the other day and there's valleys full of secondhand clothes. Valleys. This is a, I mean, yeah. they, they've, and this lady picked up a Halloween hat that had been worn once and it's all this um, cash for clobber clothes that's sold to third world countries and they pick out the good things and they dump the rest of it. But there were valleys in a desert full of clothes. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, the recycling schemes that we have, I, I heard a statistic on Instagram, but it was on the page of AJ Barber, who's a very big advocate for sustainable fashion, sustainable clothing. And actually, to be honest, I, uh, I'm not sure there's such a thing as sustainable fashion. There may be such a thing as sustainable clothing, but fashion, I, I'm not so sure. But she, they were saying that 100 billion garments are made annually. And there's only 7.9 billion people on the planet. So that's like 10 items for everybody that's alive on the earth per annum. Now, I wouldn't be buying 10 new items per annum. Maybe I did in the past. But they also said that 60, the average person buys 68 items per annum, 68 items of clothing per annum. I mean, really? Yeah. Like, who's doing that? So yeah. it's just, it's the volume of stuff. So even if we had good recycling schemes for clothes and other things uh, it, it would be a struggle for a recycling scheme to manage that sort of volume it's so absolutely volume. it's bonkers isn't it i mean you see all these people um fashion people on instagram with their new outfits and i did comment on one person's page and i said well, where are all these clothes going when you finished with them because she's like this from h&m this one and i quickly got blocked um yeah. <laughs> so uh, you see i don't she, she i don't that. follow those accounts I had I, I had followed a few of some yummy mummy bloggers that had come up to the farm here and she just happened to be one of them she was a fashion lady but I think there was a big protest today outside the pretty little things fashion show and there were people holding yeah banners up pretty little thieves and Ooh, that that's was good yeah that was more about the wage differences and the wages of the people making the clothes um compared to the CEO who's obviously well, getting this is the thing like really hmm. if you were to pay someone a decent wage and pay the people who grow the fiber to make the clothing item item if it's natural like there's no way you would get a top for I'd say less than 60 euro like if you're paying people a reasonable salary so it's and this is the thing like I mean people generally take better care of items that cost them more money and I mean, there's this argument over affordability, but I think that we should be focused on accessibility right. rather than affordability, because affordability is different for everyone. 
and in my experience like i often think about the discount supermarkets you know the little and the aldis and how people argue well that made food affordable for everyone and yes it may have done for a lot of people but most people who shop for little and aldi are people who could afford to pay more for their food you know so i think a lot of the people who are benefiting from fast fashion are people who are well able to pay yeah. a decent price for decent garments oh definitely but also i mean it's the kids i have two teenagers and one of them um has no ethics sorry <laughs> and one of them does have a lot um so but all their friends are going into pennies and buying a top why wouldn't they they can afford that's all they can afford you know so she is buying the top she's one of those consumers the other lady is going on uh to depop and she's very careful and she understands the whole cares about the concept but you know there's a lot of kids there that just want to go out and they get their pocket money and they want to buy something uh, so it well, shouldn't see, be available for them to go out and buy 68 things you know well, this year. is the thing because i mean my daughter has bought fast fashion items as well and it's a it's a it's a societal norm to do it when i was growing up we did not go and shop in sprees together you know we hung out but we didn't go shopping sprees because we had the time I was a teenager there just wasn't clothes that were that cheap so and I don't even though I believe in individual action we have to be um accepting of the frailties of the human mind especially teenagers because their ability to um you know uh, forego pleasure is is quite diminished at their age because their brain hasn't fully developed and so I don't put the blame on the teenagers if you're we have created the society in Absolutely. which you can buy a top for a fiver so yeah. I think that's what needs to change and the one and those of us who have fully formed brains and who can think logically it's up to us to change the ways so that society makes it easier for others to live more sustainably yeah, exactly i mean when you've got a kid with a tenner and you say well why do you buy the three tops like well I, I could get the three tops for a tenner so why shouldn't i you know they're not thinking anyway i mean even adults aren't thinking past where that came from and who you know most adults aren't so why should kids mm. you know i don't yeah. blame them in any in any fan manner at all so uh, we know really the impact of fast fashion on the planet um, do you want to just explain that very briefly, what the impact is? Well, I mean, there's, um, I think a truckload of clothing gets dumped into landfill every 10 seconds somewhere in the world. Nonsense. It's not really happening. 1% of clothing gets recycled into new clothing. Um, so it's really, it's insignificant. And that's because it's difficult and it's expensive. And like, I mean, how many people do you know who are buying recycled garments? Very few. And even if you do buy something that says it's recycled, the percentage of recycled fiber in it might be quite low, you know, so it could be 10 or 20%. And so, but you don't see that on the big recycled label. It just says recycled. It's only in the small print. Right. So it, like I said, it's those 100 billion garments that are landing. Um, and I do think the fast fashion is, you know, is probably the worst end of it, but actually all fashion is a problem because Fashion is all about change. So inherently, it's unsustainable. Now, you can make it less damaging by, you know, upcycling garments or recycling fabrics and stuff like that. But really, I mean, I gave up on fashion a long time ago um, when I got sense. I mean, fashion is somebody else telling me what I need to wear to look cool. I mean, excuse me, I'm not 12. You know, that I do believe in style. 
I believe in people wearing clothes that they feel expresses their personality and that they enjoy and whatever. But somebody telling me that white pants or white trousers are in or knee length skirts, like, get out of here. Who cares? That's like, that's just you trying to, and you'll, you'll find that the skirt length that's in fashion is never what was in fashion last year. And I, I think there's some little room somewhere where they come together and they make sure they have a five-year gap between certain styles. So it's just long enough for you to rehome the items in your wardrobe. So they bring wide trousers back in just after you've probably gotten rid of them. So therefore you have to go and buy them. And, and they're not wide trousers that are exactly like the ones you have. They now have turnips on them or something like that, or, you know, high waist and therefore you're caught out. I mean, it is the greatest load of nonsense I've ever come across in my life. Um, and people love it. So there you go. I mean, it's the human psychology. And it's because there's social status attached to it. By wearing fashionable clothes, you're seen as somebody who has, you know, quite a bit of disposable income or you're trendy or you're with it or you're an interesting person and all the rest. But that's in certain social groups, because the thing is, when you hang out with people in the sustainability sphere, we don't we don't rate that sort of way of working you know if we see somebody changing their looks to reflect what's in on trend this season it just doesn't sit well for our values so actually you know you wouldn't um your social standing would go down in the sustainable community if you're very fashionable and i think that that's quite you know like a a, a mind uh, you know, that, that's quite hard for people who are very fashionable to grab a hold of. And I do feel for people who are really into fashion and trends and want to be sustainable. I think I've never seen it done really successfully. I've seen stylish done successfully, but I've never seen fashion done successfully. Well, I mean, fashion to divine it means, um, oh, it's only a fashion, it's passing and it's gone. It's a fashion. Exactly. So that's what it actually means. So, it so is therefore, it has unsustainability at its heart. At its heart. Yeah. Mm. Um, so you looked at some, well, sustainable and ethical clothing brands. And if you were going out purchasing things and you had a wish list, um, what kind of five items or five brands would you go for first? I know we're not saying to everybody go out and buy clothes, but we do need clothes. So what's the best options? So I can talk you through brands in a minute, but actually you don't need to buy new clothes. Nobody needs to buy new clothes, except maybe pajamas, underwear, or a specific thing to go with something so that you get wear out of the other things. But you shop your wardrobe first and you'll find friends and family have garments that they don't want that you can take on board. Um, and then secondhand, like I, we buy exclusively secondhand in our house and that's everything, unless we can't find it secondhand. So, I do not buy new clothes. I don't have a reason to buy new clothes. So the reason I have shopping or clothing brand compendium articles on my website is to bring in the person who's at the start of their journey, who hasn't really thought about not buying yet because our society is so set up. Like, I mean, we talk about people as consumers, not as citizens, which I just says a lot. So it's yeah, but you'll see at the very start of my article, um, which lists clothing brands, sustainable clothing brands, is where you can buy things secondhand and why you shouldn't buy something new. Yeah. And I'm trying to sort of get people to start thinking about that. 
So um, I think I think that's exactly the point. Um, and actually, the sort of ethos behind the podcast is to try and broaden the audience for all these issues and bring people in where they feel comfortable about it. And I think talking about if you are buying something or, you know, where, where are you going to buy it secondhand or what brands would be better than others? You know, you have to start, as you said, you have to start somewhere and sort of draw people in. That is true. And I do think like now you've mentioned Depop and there's loads of uh, reselling platforms. And like personally, I like to go into, okay, we don't have the best setup, I think, in Ireland. I like to see things physically and touch them rather than buying things online. And actually, in my experience, buying things online only works when you know when you're looking for a brand. Right. And a way that feeds into those large companies. And it's very hard to support independent makers doing that because you might not know, you know, what is that you might not want to take a risk on whether their fit of trousers fits you, whereas you know that Marks and Spencer's does or Next does or Cost does. So and, and there's no definitive, oh, this brand is better than this brand. It just doesn't because we have no way of measuring it at the moment. I think eventually we'll get to a stage where it'll be like a traffic light system on garments and you'll be able to say okay well this is a green so it's the greenest and this is an orange less good um and there are ratings there's a really good website in the uk called the ethical consumer and they do rate high street stores but i and i wear every brand i wear next marks and spencers everything i don't just buy eco brands but that's because i'm buying secondhand Mm -hmm. and these things already exist and I think the most sustainable item of clothing, even if it's not an eco brand, is the one that you're going to get the most wear out of. So, you know, is this something you're going to wear at least once a week? And even if it's from one of the high street stores that isn't particularly eco, that's probably more sustainable than something that's made with organic cotton that you won't take out of the wardrobe more than twice. Yeah, so, I think if you have an item of clothing and you can wear it to death, basically, that that's the key. Uh, yeah key yeah absolutely yeah and it is really hard at the moment like I want retailers in Ireland to start selling secondhand garments I want them to take back garments from their customers and to resell them because as much as I mean I get great bargains in charity shops but there's a lot more work than needs to be and it's also um, even the ones that are very well set up and the clothes are well presented and labeled and all the rest you don't know what style you're going to get. Whereas if you know you like a particular boutique in your town, you they'll know your style. And if you if they're taking back pre-loved versions of uh, garments that they've sold previously, then it's going to fit in with that style. And so you know if you go in there, you're going to like what you see. Whereas when the charity shop, there's, oh. you know, Bohemian, there's Goth, there's, you know, Fuddy Duddy, there's everything. And so it's really hit and miss. And for oh. the time, for those of us who are, you know don't have a lot of time it's not and it's not the most enjoyable experience so i wanted to see retailers selling secondhand clothes that they might take back from their customers and i think that's when secondhand will become uh really it'll start to make more yeah and more of an impact but i mean i suppose i think it's acceptable at the moment maybe some people don't but um oh, a lot of people i think don't yeah Mm, yeah that's and, that is a problem a lot of people don't and, and it's people are getting used to it but I suppose that the whole t- pre-loved clothes until it actually fits in with their business plan it's not going to happen so when it makes business sense to take it already pre-loved. makes this 
It already makes business really? sense because think about it. They have to buy the item new. Mm. And most people will donate clothes back to a store. They don't need to sell it to them. But like there's loads of um, businesses that m- make money on reselling clothing and you're taking it back you might only spend you know buy it back for a fiver i know a lot of people who'd be happy to clear their wardrobes out and give it to the stores if in return for store credit if it's a shop that they shop in than to give it to a charity shop um and also like clothing stores should be offering repair services and all of that but it's funny you were saying that secondhand is not socially acceptable for a lot of people i mean vintage is just so cool i do think vintage has taken off for the younger people and some middle-aged people are catching up on it but not so much it's more the younger generation do you agree um i think that people who are quite traditional in their views haven't caught up to it i think people who are open to new things have adopted it a lot quicker and young people tend to be open to new Mm. things so i think it's the mindset of people i think it's quite old-fashioned not to buy secondhand, but then like I'm further along in my journey. So I do look at it slightly differently, uh, but I think that eventually everybody will buy. I mean, secondhand's an awful term though. You know, we do need to, and vintage is not quite right. because yeah, pre-loved is lovely. Pre-loved. Yeah, although I've pre-loved to me sounds a little bit airy like fairy. That's probably, but I, I can see it resonates yeah. with people. Like it resonates with other people, but yeah. I, second life is a word that I yeah, use. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good term. Yeah. But maybe it's because the term secondhand. And it's also, I think, when you start to see pre-loved or second life garments in beautifully fitted out retail stores that are selling new next to it. Yeah. Then I think maybe uh, people's mindsets would really shift because I'll be honest, as lovely as some charity shops are, shopping in charity shops isn't a, half as pleasurable as shopping in stores that only sell mm. new items. Mm. So do you have any items on your wish list at the moment or are you full kitted up with clothes? Uh, no, I don't do clothing wish lists at all. I mean, if, if I, well, I mean, I'm keeping I my mean, if you needed out. like a waterproof jacket or, you know, we do need things occasionally, wellies oh, yeah. or shoe, you know. Well, that's the thing because I, I wouldn't call it a wish list. I call it a need list. Okay, yeah, and I need and I need it because uh, you know I I don't really do aspirational shopping anymore, and that's taken a good few years to get to that stage. I'll be honest, you know, in the beginning, I overdid it on the second hand shopping because I just enjoyed the shopping so much, um, and I think COVID really cured me of it. Um, because you were only going out to buy things that you really needed, even if they were secondhand. I was only going to get them if I really needed them. So, I mean, I, I did need a new winter coat, an everyday winter coat. And I looked in the charity shops. The one thing about the charity shops, and like I'm saying, at the moment, we don't have really good options for secondhand clothing, unless you're happy to buy online, which I'm not. I like to try things on. But I looked for my new winter coat for about a year. And after a year, I couldn't find one. And I was shopping with my mom who does shop and it was her birthday. That's why we were in stores. And I saw a coat that was exactly what I wanted. I wanted one that has a zipper that went two ways so that if you cycle, you know, the way you can zip it up the bottom. Um, And I thought it was a good price and I bought it. But I will always try and buy secondhand first. And at the moment, I need nothing. So... Mm, mm. so what do you think about the brands that are really sort of riding 
the wave of sustainability like Patagonia and well, there's a few other big ones there? Well, some of them are genuine and some aren't. So the, like the essentially sustainability at the moment is about using less resources. And as much as Patagonia is trying to convince its customers to buy less, it's not working. You know, people are still purchasing and I don't blame them for it because we live in a consumer society. So there are clothing companies that are doing their best. One of the most sustainable business models at the moment doesn't sound like it's a sustainable um, is to make to order. Because when you make when you make a collection, you don't know if it's going to sell. And then if it doesn't sell, you have to sell it at a discount. And if you have to sell something at a discount, it means the person didn't want it in the first place. Unless they couldn't afford it in the first place. Like I can understand, like I've benefited from discounts. And particularly when you're trying out a new brand, um, like I used to buy new clothing from Thought in the past. I like Thought. They're in the UK. I don't buy from any UK stores now because of the Brexit thing. Mm-hmm. Um I don't, well, I don't buy new anymore. So it just happened <laughs> just as well. I got over that before Brexit came in, but thought were very good, but um, uh, it's still buying stuff and their business model. So if, like, if you have to sell stuff off at the end of the season, that's even if it's made with you know, organic cotton or natural fiber or, and it's made to last and it's repairable and all the rest, you've made too much. You've made, you've contributed that 100 billion garments per annum so made to order is quite a sustainable business model um so i would be looking at the brands who really are working towards selling less and i do feel for them because we don't live in an environment that really supports that at the moment and we don't live in a society that supports that but that's what's genuinely sustainable now on my website i have articles where i you know list sustainable ethical clothing brands and like i said that's to get people in so that if they're shoppers already that they're making less damaging choices but i have thought about taking them off the website completely because it gives the impression that if you buy from these brands that somehow you're living sustainably and that's not the case you're just being less damaging so but I mean, I happily list, I could list out some companies in Ireland that are sort of helping us to transition towards sustainable. And actually, a lot of them are in the sort of sweatshirts and jumpers area because it's very easy to get recycled polyester or organic cotton T-shirts and jumpers. And what they, I suspect they're doing, and I don't know this for certain, they're just ordering them from a company could be Asia and this is the thing it is so hard to find out where companies get their garments made especially the Irish companies now some of them are starting to um you know t- to publish it but sometimes I might mention a brand and and I've wondered about this so I'm my articles are limited to companies that are registered in Europe but really now with our global processes if they're making them in india then why am i including companies that are in india because it's the same difference really but hopefully in the future these businesses that are registered in europe will start making in europe because that's where all the european legislation is coming it's going to start taxing materials that are imported into europe so we have like a few i have an article which is sustainable ethical uh, clothing and and i have separated I have a women's wear one and I have a men's wear one. I have one on yoga and active clothing. 
I've one on nightwear, I've underwear, like I've so many different separate articles for all of these things. But, you know, there's um, a company called Nastor and they have garments, a few that are made in Portugal. And again, it's sweatshirts and T-shirts. There's a four after, which is making dresses and a few other items, um, and they're made in Poland. And they're probably a little bit more progressive than a lot of the Irish companies that are, you know, they're not making the garments, they're buying them from a company, from a factory that's making them. And that's the way with most clothing companies. Very few of them actually own their own factory. So when I say Irish clothing brands, they're not really making them mm. in Ireland. I think actually, that's, that's one of the big, um, well, things that we have to crack is the tracing of literally everything. If you could trace your item of clothes from start, from birth to death, if you could trace where your bag of animal feed actually came from, if you could trace where your recycling bin ended up, you know, all this information would be visible to everybody. And then people would really go, oh, oh OK. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think people would. I, really? I just think people would turn off. You know, people don't. In my experience, people don't want to know. Apart from people listening to this podcast, probably because they're tuned in. But um, people just want businesses and governments to sort it out for them. And that's fair enough, because let's say I only have access to we'll talk about food for a second. I only have access to Aldi, which is one of the worst for packaging in this country. Uh, even little is better. But let's if I only have Aldi in my community and I it's the only supermarket I can get access to. I really don't want to hear how bad they are. Do you know what I mean? So I think consumer or citizens sorry i nearly used that terrible phrase consumers well customers because they are actually we're talking about purchasing but customers who will buy from companies that are trying to be more sustainable who can afford to are sort of voting for the future they want um but i think that i try like on the website to just limit the information i give to the things that they can influence. I have an awful lot more information about stuff that they can't influence that I just don't share on the website because I think it'll be overwhelming and it'll paralyze people. So, you know, I think that's why shop in your wardrobe and buy secondhand. But if you, like we were talking about clothing companies or clothing brands in Ireland, um, you know, the ones that I mentioned there, and then you have Zizo, which is in Waterford, and they sort of do casual wear, joggers, t-shirts, and hoodies. There's another company in Germany, and I'm annoyed now because I can't think of the name, but a friend of mine is sending clothes back to Germany. They're buying them. Now, they nearly always have to be branded, I think, in some kind of brand. But if they're clean, they will take them back, and then you get credit on this store. And the what I thought was interesting about it was this German company is giving free postage. So that's an interesting thing. It is always better to rehome clothing locally. Yeah, exactly. Carbon emissions of sending that over to Germany. Now, if you didn't think the clothing was going to be used here locally, you could argue that still the carbon emissions are better. But sending clothing, I mean, that's what one of the reasons I don't buy online. I the carbon emissions from having things transported to me, even if it's an eco brand, sort of undoes all of the good. Yeah. It's much yeah. for me to buy something locally. Yeah, um, well, you don't want to send things to Germany, but I was wondering if there was a company in Ireland that started that. I think what puts a lot of people off, um, Depop even is the one that the kids use all the time, is the postage. 
and how this company in Germany, I don't know how they've afforded it, that you can send a box from Ireland for free to them. Oh, <laughs> you know, you're paying, for, you're paying for it on the new clothing. I mean, no company does anything for free. It's just that yeah. the price is embedded something else, somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of, um, like people sell clothing on adverts and they sell it. There's new wardrobe, which is more of a sharing platform than a selling platform. Um, but I mean, I'm, I would donate it to a charity shop. That's what I would do. It's much more sustainable to do that than send it to Germany. They're getting paid. This is why people are doing it. This company is buying the secondhand clothes off them. Yeah. Well, I suppose. So they want the credit. It, well, they want the credit and it's up to yeah. them, like whether they prioritize sustainability or the credit, you know, yeah. and I think that's unfortunate that the way our society is set up, it pays to be unsustainable. Exactly, exactly. And do that's... these people, do they resell these garments? Yeah, then they resell them. So they've okay. got a website selling a second yeah. life clothes. Yeah. yeah, I think that this is the thing, like there's no, it, you know, the devil's in the details. So some of the things that seem inherently sustainable, like reselling clothes is a really, really good thing. But a company should really needs to do a study on the carbon emissions created by that business model to be able to say whether it's truly sustainable. So, for example, you know, there was a study done, even though it was found to be a bit flawed, but, you know, the carbon emissions of renting jeans and sending them back to the company versus buying a pair of jeans and just wearing them out yourself. And it's much more sustainable to buy a pair of jeans and wear them until you can wear them no more than yeah. to be renting jeans. And it just, <laughs> yeah. But That's it does depend, like if that if that jean shop is next door to you, then that might make sense. But I mean, to be ordering clothes from Germany and then sending them back to Germany, a lot of things come down to what's called a life cycle analysis, where you do a calculation of both models and you make a decision and that's what companies really need to be doing and they will eventually be forced to do it because they'll have to pay carbon tax on all the emissions that they create and so they'll have to measure it and you might find that schemes like that then get limited locally um do you have any opinion on the cash for clubber schemes yeah so i mean i started out being really against these um and i'm not really i'm not a fan of anything that encourages consumption um at the end of the day and so I haven't seen any studies that look at whether uh, the cash for clues encourages consumption, whether people buy more or they would have bought that much anyway. And so I'm sort of undecided. In one side, you could say giving money for clothing might make help people to value stuff, whereas what tends to happen psychologically is that once somebody becomes tired of something they discount it um, and they're very happy to put it in the bin because to them it's worthless I've never been that type of person but you know that's generally what happens but if somebody is able to trade it in for money that that increases their sense of value in the item um, but I don't I actually don't think most of these schemes are giving you money what they're doing is saying bring your bags of clothes um, you're donating them to a charity that's we're going to sell them for money for a charity. So it makes the people feel better about having all these clothes because we can now give them to the cash for clobber and some charity is going to um, benefit. And then they obviously all end up in this big desert valley in Chile. So, well, they don't all, but it's like what we said previously, it's about quantities. If you are, if somebody is donating clothes to charity, whether it's, 
getting credit or not getting credit, if if you're still purchasing at a level where you're constantly having to donate clothes, then there's a problem. Now, I donated worn out clothes a couple of years ago, you know, when I was, you know, I'm really trying to be zero waste the last six years. So a few years ago, I had accumulated clothes which were really not good enough to, ha- to pass on. We don't have a proper textile recycling um, scheme mm in Ireland and in Europe, really, at the moment. And so I brought bags into the charity shops that I knew do a rag scheme, and they sell the textiles to textile recyclers and they get some money because otherwise it would just go into landfill. So that was the least damaging way for me to dispose of those those clothes. Now, of course, I kept some from my own rag basket at home, but there's only so many rags a human being can deal with. Um, And then even last week, I had three pairs of school shoes, which are school shoes are impossible to rehome. Yeah. Nobody wants to buy them. No. Um, and they don't so, even want to take them for free. I had a pair of perfectly good yeah. Dubarries, which are really good shoes, up on Convara, you know, buy and sell for free, and nobody wanted them. That's it. And they, uh, to be fair, like you have to come to somebody's house and you have to try them on. And, yeah. you know, like that's why, you know, we really have to go to having proper resale outlets or, you know, having stores selling new and uh, second hand or second life. So I had these three school shoes. I had tried to rehome them multiple times. I know there's no point to put them into a charity shop. I know there's no point. Uh-huh. So what I did was shoe run a recycling scheme and they give you a five euro voucher in lieu for each pair and so these shoes will most likely go to um a country where they have a healthy second-hand market and they may get sold there now that might not be sustainable because there's the carbon emissions from being transported who knows but i said right rather than me put them in the landfill bin i'm going to take a view that i'm going to drop it in and so my plan is because i don't shop and shoe um we don't really um so when I'm going to go in surreptitiously one day and I'm going to hand out the three vouchers I got to people who are already queuing to buy. Oh, that's nice. So in that way, you're going to be, like a sh- you're going to be a shoe angel. I bet But it's not encouraging anyone to spend money that they wouldn't be spending because they're already yeah, decided they're already, to buy the pair. Yeah. But yeah. So I do think that it depends if you are donating clothes that you haven't been able to avoid like so you have reduced your consumption these are garments you're really not going to use you're getting a voucher for a store that you will shop in anyway or you're donating to a charity that is going to benefit from the sale of it then i do think that that is less damaging than definitely putting it in the bin yeah Yeah, exactly putting the bin so but i think it's at the very end of a whole process the first one being is to reduce the amount of clothing you're buying in the first place mm. and i do see people fall into this trap of like dropping a bag into the charity shop on their way to go clothes shopping like if you're doing that there's something wrong yeah so how to make it an appealing um thing for people to reduce <laughs> their consumption this well, is how do you attract people to that mindset um, as you said, we all tend to talk to each other in the same little circle because um, we're all trying to be sustainable. But for people that don't care, how do you draw them in? Well, I don't know if you just talk to people in the same circle. Everybody has a sphere of influence and some people in that sphere are not people who think like you. So if you work in a workplace, 
you're going to have people in there who think quite differently to you. Um, it's different in your family home or whatever. And what I found is that I tend to influence people who are my age and look like me. And that's the thing. I don't influence teenagers at all. I tend not to influence men very much. And what you find is men influence men and, and 20 year olds tend to influence teenagers and teenagers influence kids. So we all have a different sphere of influence. And so I do what I do, which is providing information to people who want to live more sustainably. If somebody does not want to live more sustainably, that's their own business. It's nothing to do with me. I have no interest in them because I, unless they are a friend of mine or somebody in their, uh, you know, 40s, female, white, I'm not going to resonate with them at all. And so I wouldn't waste my breath. Um, and that's really up for governments um, to deal with. Um, and that's why we need legislation, because. People, the majority of people don't want to change. I think that's, they want things to be more sustainable, but they don't want to make the changes to get there. Um, and so we need legislation to force it to happen. On a personal note, I have found living sustainably to be so liberating. It's like when you stop buying women's magazines. Like there's nothing more depressing than a woman's magazine, a typical woman's magazine. Like I know there's a trend towards better quality ones that talk about real issues. But you flick through Glamour or Cosmo. I mean, it's just awful stuff designed to make you feel inadequate so that you spend your money. And so to give up something like that is so liberating and so good for your mental health and that I have found the same living sustainably. I save a fortune. I'm much healthier. I, I think the people in the sustainable community have values that match my values better. So I tend to socialize with people who care about things like community and family and experiences rather than what car you drive. So I find you sort of self-select um, your social circle as a result. But um, because living sustainably generally requires you to, like, so you're trying to borrow stuff and lend stuff rather than buy it. So I borrow a ladder to cut my hedge because I don't have a very tall one. And, you know, I might lend my hedge trimmers to a neighbor who doesn't have one. And because of that, I'm part of a community. And that has been really enriching. Whereas if I just bought everything that I needed, I would have no need to talk to these people. I would have no need to have a relationship with them. So if anyone thinks that they're lonely or life doesn't feel like it has any real, um, like, you know you go in behind your door at 6 p.m close Purpose, the door and you don't yeah. see anyone or yeah then i would definitely recommend sustainable living because it's a much more rewarding way to live but that's a hard sell for people if you're the other thing is like people are addicted to shopping at the moment because our society is set up to make them addicted and keep them addicted and that's why we do need systemic change for a lot of people but i think the enlightened people can start the process and then in my experience, it is not useful to tell people what they should do. You sh it's much more powerful to do what you do and then let people see you enjoying it. And if they ask questions, then give them the information. But don't be going around preaching. Oh, look, I got this organic cotton jumper. Isn't it so amazing? You know, just don't be that person. <laughs> no, I totally agree. Preaching doesn't work. But um, no. I, do th I do think visual images, like, I mean, the... The image of the valley in Chile, I'll have to put it up on Instagram because it's shocking. And I think images like that do resonate with people who haven't actually thought of that issue before. You know, if they actually see, oh, wow, look at that. I think it resonates with people who care. 
uh, maybe. It doesn't. The people who don't care will just flick on through. Yeah. But then there'll be people on the edge of caring. They might convert them. But I know what happens. Like, I don't follow a lot of eco-activists because their feed is so depressing. Yeah, that's why we don't do any kind of negative interviews. So it's all positive and what can you do? So I think, I think that's a really lovely place to end, Elaine, about how enriching it is to start a sustainable lifestyle and why because you know you have to go and borrow somebody's ladder uh, it's, as yeah. as, it's as simple as that so thank you so much and thank you for the blog it's there i put everything in the show notes and is there anything else you'd like to tell people or point people towards no but i will say that most people are more sustainable than they think and sustainability is really simple it's just about consuming less and for some people, it might be they fly less. Some people, it might be they eat less meat. And some people, it might be they, they shop less. But usually everyone is doing something. So, you know, you know, give yourself a pat on the back for what yeah. you are doing. Um, and don't feel overwhelmed. It's just one step at a time. Exactly. And we're not, none of us are perfect. You know, we're all trying to do, make changes in little areas. So you don't have, you know, you can't aspire for yeah. perfection either. Thank you so much, Elaine, for talking to um, everybody today in storm storm eunice or storm nora as she's been renamed now <laughs> i know i think it's mad that people can't pronounce the word eunice i think it must be maybe our gaelic brain is able to do it but <laughs> but it was so nice talking to you yeah Thanks it was so lovely speaking to you and um talk to you hopefully again soon brilliant thank you for listening to nature magic breaking news this week is that flora our new white and black spotted juliana pig who is only 14 weeks old, has done her first fairy pig walk. She joined us to help Amelia out with all the walks. She is so smart and loves going around the hazel woodland on her lead. Fairy pig walks can be booked on Airbnb experiences. Boronich Sanctuary is reopening after COVID on the 2nd of April at 10 a.m. We are also delighted to announce our new section of nature books in the gift shop all chosen as recommendations by our wonderful podcast guests. We will be working on getting the Nature Books section up on the website over the next few weeks. We're also delighted to be adding the Irish Chandler candles as a new line of stock for the gift shop. They're locally made with all natural materials. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a review if you enjoyed it to help spread a positive voice for nature.